I don't know if the name Harvey Pinnock means anything to you. It's actually a new name to me until just a few weeks ago. He was a professional golfer and a college coach. He coached the Texas Longhorns, uh, their golf team, from 1931 to 1963. And in those 32 years of coaching, he led his team to 21 Southwest Conference Championships. So he was very successful as a coach and as a player. He was actually inducted into the Golf Hall of Fame in 2002. Uh, Interestingly, five of his students are in that same Golf Hall of Fame. Uh, He did something very unique. At the age of 90, he wrote the best-selling sports book of all time. It was called and is called Harvey Pinnock's Little Red Book. Starting all the way back into the 1920s, he began jotting notes down uh, in this little red book about how to teach the game of golf. And in that book, not only is there an extensive amount of instruction about how to play the game, there is also a good amount of instruction about the mental aspects of that game. And in 1991, after Pennock was a very old man, a sports writer from Austin, Texas, uh, his name was Bud Schrake, got his hands on this little red book of Harvey Pennock's. And, and he was reading through it, and he recognized the, the value of its content, and he went to Harvey, and he said, somebody has got to be interested in publishing this as a book. I'm going to make some phone calls and see what I can find out. And, and he did that. And in the meantime, Harvey just kind of wrote him off. He didn't think that there was a chance in the world of anything like that happening. But the very next evening, Bud Schrake called Harvey's home. Harvey wasn't there. His wife answered the phone. Harvey, uh, or Bud said very excitedly to his wife, I've talked with, with Simon and Schuster publishing company. They are very excited about Harvey's book. They're talking about a $90,000 advance. Have Harvey call me. Well, several days went by. Harvey didn't call. He didn't return the call. Finally, the sports writer looked him up and he said to him, why didn't you call me back? And Harvey said this, with all of the medical bills I've been having, I didn't think I could afford to advance them (laughs) $90,000. Well, see, he didn't understand what was being talked about, just like a lot of people don't understand the subject of grace. We are embarking upon a, a fall series, actually 11 weeks. It'll take us up to Thanksgiving weekend. And we are going to talk about the subject of grace. And I hope that through this series, you will better understand what the grace of God means. There are several things that I want to encourage you in. One, be here on Sunday mornings as we talk about grace. Two, get involved in a small group on Sunday evenings. It's not too late to do that. If, if you haven't done that, do that today. And each evening, uh, there will be some video uh, clips for us to watch on the subject of grace and some discussion to, wa- to, uh, 
to participate in. Also, we're making a book available to you called The Grace of God. It's written by Andy Stanley. It's a very good book. Uh, just for $6, you can pick that up in the, in the lobby. And uh, each week, we will be encouraging you to read particular chapters that will correlate with the sermon. And uh, these, these sermon topics, they're going to springboard from the chapters in this book. But I assure you that the main book that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks is this book right here. And from this book, we will get to understand better what the grace of God really means. I want to give to you a definition for God's grace. It means unmerited favor. Now, if you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard that definition for grace for years and years. I can remember it as far back as, as being a little kid, probably in vacation Bible school or church camp. Uh, maybe it was my preacher growing up that gave me that definition that God's grace is His unmerited favor to all of mankind. It's what we don't deserve. You nor I or anybody else can earn God's favor. We cannot be good enough to earn his favor. We can't be smart enough or, or pretty enough to earn his favor. We cannot be rich enough to buy his favor. His favor, his goodness, his grace is totally undeserved. I heard it best explained to me through this particular story. It's a true story, and I know that it has been told here before, but I think it's worth telling Again, it's a story back into the early 1990s. A young couple went to the Hyatt Regency Motel in uh, Boston. They were to plan their wedding banquet and their reception, which was going to take place there in that Hyatt Regency Motel. And they had expensive taste. They picked out... Uh, China patterns, and they picked out a menu that they would have for their, their wedding guest, and, and they picked out all kinds of decorations and, and flower arrangements, and the total cost for that particular event came to $13,000, which they were prepared to pay. And they went on from that day, and they were making other plans, and the day came that they were to send out their wedding invitations, and it was on that day that the groom got cold feet, and he broke off the engagement, he broke off the relationship, it was done right there on the spot, and you can imagine the hurt and the heartache that this bride-to-be was, was experiencing. After she pulled herself together, she had to go downtown uh, Boston to the Hyatt Regency Motel and undo all of the plans which had been made. She went there, she met with the lady who was in charge, and then she received the news from that lady of what the fine print at the bottom of the contract said, that she would not be able to receive back all of her money once it had been paid. Only 10% could be received back, $1,300. And so they, they were talking, and, and the lady said to the, 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 the young gal who was, was uh, hurt there, she said, you have one of two choices. You can receive back the $1,300 and forfeit the rest, or you can go ahead and have your banquet. Well, she got to thinking about it. She decided to go ahead and have her party. You see, 10 years earlier, this young lady 
had lived on the street. She had been in a homeless shelter. She didn't have much hope, but, but she had been able to pull her life together. She had gotten a job. She had made good money over these last 10 years. She had it to spend. She decided that she wouldn't lose it. Rather, she would throw this party, and it wasn't just going to be any party. She went to the rescue shelters. She went to the homeless shelter. She got word out to the addicts, or the addicts who lived underneath the bridges. And they were all welcome to come to her party that evening, and they did come. These very people who were used to going to the dumpsters and, and looking inside for their evening meal and, and grabbing what they could out of the dumpster, these people came to the finest ballroom of the Hyatt Regency, and they had food galore. They had hors d'oeuvres, they, they drank champagne. There was one uh, change that this young lady made in, in, the, in the meal or in the menu that evening. The main entree, due to her, her ex-fiance, with him in mind, she changed it to boneless chicken. <laughs> but we we have people in tuxedos that are there and they are serving these street people with chocolate cake and hors d'oeuvres and champagne and it was the party of a lifetime and if you would have asked any one of them what they were doing at a dinner like that they would have answered something like this i didn't deserve this i didn't plan it i didn't arrange it. I certainly didn't pay for it. I got sought. I, I got invited and I said yes. You know, Scripture talks about a, a party that's going to happen someday. A celebration. A wedding banquet that is going to take place when Jesus comes back after his bride and it is going to be the party of all parties People will be there from every tongue and every tribe and every nation, the Scripture says. You and I are invited to be at that party. And if we say yes to that invitation through Jesus Christ and, and we are there amidst that celebration and if the question were asked of us, what are you doing here? Do you know how you got here? We would say, I, I know I didn't pay for it. I didn't deserve it. I didn't plan it. I didn't arrange it. But I got sought, and I got invited, and I said yes to the amazing, wonderful grace of Jesus. You understand, grace is God's unmerited favor. We could never do enough to deserve His grace to us. Now, oftentimes, I think most often, when we think of God's grace, we think of His grace in our need to be forgiven of our sins and to be able to go to heaven. And certainly that is, is, is applicable. But you know, we need God's grace for so much more than just the forgiveness of our sins and the opportunity to go to heaven. We need God's grace just to survive every single day. Just to endure through life, the ups and downs of life. I'm, I'm thinking of Bill and Diana Carpenter who through this storm had a major loss with their, their roof gone and water just pouring into the house. They need God's grace to survive that, to endure that. I was talking with somebody just a little bit ago about parenting and, and we have kids and we're raising them up the best that we can and, and they're out there in the world being challenged, we need God's grace in our parenting. 
We need God's grace when we're facing health conditions. I was at the nursing home just a little bit ago uh, with the nursing home services during the Sunday school hour, and, and one of our couples was, was there. He has just been moved into the nursing home this week, and, and he, he's, he's been told he doesn't have long to live. We need God's grace in dealing with those kinds of situations. Some of you have issues that you're going through, problems that, that you're going through. You need God's grace. We all need God's grace with the daily challenges of life. And we'll see through this sermon series that God wants to pour His grace upon us. His grace is there to be lavished upon us. We need His grace. Today, I want you to see God's grace way back in the very beginning. I want you to see His grace, first of all, in creation. We read in Genesis chapter 1, the creation account. Each day was a different aspect of His creative hand. Day 1, if you were in vacation Bible school, this will be fresh in your mind. Day 1 was light and darkness. Day 2 was the sky. He separated the waters above from the waters below, the text says. Day three, he gathered the waters below the heavens and he put them in their place. In other words, on day three, he formed the oceans and, and the seas and, and the bed in which they were to be laid. And, and there he held them in place. Job chapter 38, verses 10 and 11 says that he fixed limits for the sea. It says, uh, this far you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. Also on day three, you may remember, he, he, he created the dry land, the, the vegetation, the, the grasses, the trees, the flowers, the, the green plants. Day three was a big day. But so was day four, because it was on day four that he created the sun and the moon and the stars. And you remember, the scripture says that he spoke all of these things into existence. Day five. He created the creatures of the sea, both big and small. And he created all of the birds of the air. Day six, he created the land animals and those that would walk across the, the earth. And on, at the end of that day, you remember, his crown jewel of creation, he created mankind. Day seven, he rested. Now you think about that. From day one through day six in the creative hand of God, how is it that we see the grace of God in creation? Simply this, the wonder of it all. He has given us the creation to enjoy. I want you to think with me for just a moment. Places that you have been that are absolutely beautiful. I think back over, over the years that I've been able to, to vacation across our land, and I think of the Colorado vacations, the, the mountains and the lakes there, and just the beauty of God's creation, whether it was in the, in the fall or the summer or the winter, it's beautiful. Many of you have been there. Maybe you've been to the ocean and you've seen the ocean blue and the beach and how beautiful it is. I remember one vacation we took uh, into Minnesota in the, in the fall season and the, the colors of the trees in Minnesota with the, the lakes there. Absolutely beautiful. Just this last summer, we had gone out to Colorado and we'd also made a trip up into, into uh, 
uh, north there and, and the Badlands. And, and just, it's a completely different kind of landscape than what we have seen anywhere else in our country, but it had its own mark of beauty. Everywhere you look, even right here in our own land and, and the sunsets that we see here in Kansas, the the beauty of God's creation, he has given it to us to enjoy. Through his creation, we experience his grace. You know, he could have made everything in black and white, but he didn't. That's his grace to us. He could have decided to not go so elaborate. He could have chose to just be more simple and, and not have such a variation of his creative hand. And yet, that isn't the route that he took. He could have decided not to mess with the heavens beyond what our naked eye could see. And yet he did. And every time we get a more powerful telescope and we look into the heavens, there's something there that we have not yet seen. God's creative hand just pours forth his grace upon us. You know, he could have given us one season to live in instead of four seasons to live in and to enjoy the beauty of each of those seasons. Why don't you watch this little video clip with me, please? For all the inhabitants of this seasonal forest, the long, cold wait is nearly over. deciduous woodland is special. With no leaves overhead, the rays of the sun strike the forest floor directly and their warmth rouses plants from their winter sleep. The ground living plants are in a hurry. Before long the trees above will come into leaf and steal their light. Their flowers decorate the forest floor as they advertise their sweet nectar to the newly emerged insects. of the deciduous woodlands have no equivalent in either the great conifer forests or the tropical jungles. Within a matter of weeks, the canopy has closed and only a few wheeling shafts of light penetrate the woodland. In the treetops, the broad leaves rapidly expand to their full size to make the most of summer while it lasts. Then, after a few months, the days begin to shorten again, and the trees must shut down and shed their leaves in preparation for the cold, dark time ahead. 
great tracts of North America flush red as the season progresses. The effect is so spectacular and so extensive that it can be seen from space. That is the amazing grace of God as it is seen in creation. But, but even more beautiful than that is when we look around us and see each other. And the uniqueness that each of us have. There is not one person in all of, all of history that is exactly like you and like me. We are each individual's. You know, God could have made us all alike. He could have made us all male. <laughs> that would have been boring, wouldn't it? <laughs> He could have made us all females. There would have been way too much talking then. But he didn't do that. He made us male and female, and he made us for each other. That is the grace of God amidst creation. Amazing grace. Marvelous grace. Astounding grace. But not only do we see his grace in creation, I want you to see his greater grace as, it, as he has responded to us amidst our sin problem. It did not take mankind very long to mess up God's creation, did it? He had placed Adam and Eve in a perfect garden, and everything was absolutely perfect until they sinned. God had had them enjoy the garden, and he said, everything is yours to enjoy, but the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, leave it alone. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat the fruit of that tree. You know the story. The serpent came along and tempted Eve to eat of the fruit. She did. He, he then tempted Adam to eat of the fruit. He ate it as well. They both sinned against God. They broke his law. And that relationship which they had had with their creator for just a short period of time was broken. And mankind still today is plagued by that same sin problem. Roman, Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us have been separated from God because of our sin. Prior to the service, I was visiting with the Brennan family and, and uh, they were holding Preston at the time. Is that Preston there or is that Madison? Preston, if you've been close to these babies, you know how precious they are. They're, they're, they're just beautiful and very innocent. No sin in their hearts whatsoever. They have been made in God's image just like every other baby that comes along, created in the image of God, and they are precious and they are pure. But one day, one day sin will come. It comes for all of us. We choose to depart from God's way. We choose the pathway of sin. We cheat. We lie. We think bad thoughts. We lose our temper. We gossip. We're greedy. We're selfish. On and on that list goes. All of us choose the pathway of sin. And God knew that we would. He didn't want us to. In fact, he commanded us not to. He commanded us to be perfect. Matthew 5, 48. Jesus said, be ye therefore 
perfect as your heavenly Father is. That's God's perfect will for us. And yet, he knew that we wouldn't be perfect. And so that creates a real problem. And the problem is this. We deserve to die. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel 18.4 says the soul that sins, it will die. We deserve death, and God is just. God cannot turn his eyes away from our sin problem. He can't bury his head in the sand. He can't pretend as though we have never sinned. He is just. He must hold true to his word. But I want you to know, too, he is also gracious, and he is love. Therefore, he made provision for mankind and his sin even before we were created. Even before the world began, God had a plan that was, he was going to put in place. And that plan was that his son, Jesus, would come and die on the cross for our sins. I want to read it to you from Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. I want, I'll point it out to you as we go through this section of God's plan before the creation of the world. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Here it is. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. According to the kind intention of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. I, I read that word lavished and something comes to mind, a picture comes to mind, and that is a bowl of ice cream with hot fudge Sunday that I am going to lavish upon that ice cream. God wants to lavish his grace upon us. And his grace extends farther back even than the creation of this world where he had a plan to save mankind from his sins before mankind was even created. Let me read to you from 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Here it is. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Again, I want you to see the grace of God, his redemption for mankind. It was all in place before he even created the world. God knew that we would sin. God knew what he would have to do to forgive us of our sins. And that would be that he would send his son to die for the sins of mankind. You talk about amazing grace. That is amazing grace. Could I remind you of what happened there in the garden 
after mankind sinned. Genesis chapter 3 verse 9 says, Then the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? I want you to get a picture in your mind of what's going on. God is walking through the garden and he's saying, Adam, Adam, where are you? Do you remember where Adam was? Adam was hiding. He was feeling shameful because of the sin which he had committed against God. Already, Adam was feeling the brokenness of this relationship. He knew that he had done wrong and that his sin was against God. And so Adam is hiding from God. And here comes God walking through the garden, looking for Adam, saying to him, Adam, where are you? You see, God wanted already... To find Adam and to restore that broken relationship, he wanted to give to him his grace. Yes, there were consequences that that Adam and Eve had to face because of their sin. And you know what those consequences are. Pain in childbirth. Weeds in the garden. Mankind would have to sweat, sweat, sweat just to make a living. It wouldn't be easy. There would be hardship. There would be sickness. There would be death. All of that is the consequences of sin. But at the same time, God had a message of hope. He had a message of grace for Adam and Eve. For he said, one day the seed of the woman will come and crush the serpent's head. He was speaking of his son Jesus. And so even as he unveiled his message of grace to Adam and Eve there in that Garden of Eden, you know what else he did? He acted graciously towards them. Genesis chapter 3 verse 21 says, And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. He was so very gracious. To Adam and Eve. He could have sent a, a lightning bolt down and just zapped them because of their sin, but he chose not to do that. He chose to extend his grace to them and then he clothed them with clothes. You know, you know what we deserve because of our sin? Romans 6.23 says we deserve death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just as God was so anxious to bestow His grace, to lavish His grace upon Adam and Eve, He wants to lavish His grace upon us too for our sin. But not just for our sin. He wants to lavish His grace upon us for our daily living. There's not a day that goes by that we don't benefit from His grace in one way or another. And so over these weeks to come, I hope and I pray for all of us that we will appreciate more the wonderful, amazing grace of God. We don't deserve it, but God longs to give it to us. Let's pray together. Would you just take a moment and pray a prayer of thanksgiving to God for His grace to you. I wonder, is there, is there one person here today or two or three 
that has not said yes to Jesus? That you've not accepted his grace into your life? It's, it's an invitation that he's given to you. But you have to answer the invitation. You have to say yes to Jesus. Lord, if there is such a person here today, would you work on their heart? Would you convict them? Would you help them to say yes to your son? I thank you for your grace in creation. Even more than that, I thank you for your grace that we can be forgiven of our sins and made new. And then every day we can look to you for grace to endure, to overcome. In Jesus' name.